The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. coach's kid uh you know we live in a glass house we know that we all live in different rooms we all got a key for it and it's one of those things that there's a code there's a way things are done in that house and you know this past week it's 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 frustrating and it sucks but uh we're all susceptible to it there are things that you do mistakes you make and it costs you time on the field costs you your job all those things and i own all that stuff I mean, it's that fact. I got no excuses. Sometimes things are said that are totally uncalled for, and it does bring your team together. And I think that's that's a beautiful thing. I mean, there were some defensive guys I didn't even know that were coming up um, to me. So I mean, I, I think that's great. I mean, heck, at first it was, you know, I thought some, you know, something really bad had happened, you know, by people I didn't even hadn't heard anything till after I got off the uh, off the the practice field, and then all of a sudden you hear that, and you're like, oh, it's just that. Okay, we can deal with that. So, but but it's been good for our group. Said publicly that he would call to apologize. Has he done that yet? No. Do you expect him to follow through? No. You know, no. Would you answer the call? Never. I've never met the guy. So let, let's let's get on from it. That was last week. That was last week. We can we can move on from it. same glass house. Oh, Rita, Rita. First of all, what's up, Rita? <laughs> What's going happy on? Happy hump day. Happy hump day. Happy hump day. Yeah, happy hump day indeed. And I, I got to tell you, uh, Rita, I just want to put this out here. I want I want you to know we've uh, covered a lot of things here. We've done the show together, but there's still a lot of things we don't know about each other. So I will let you know. If, uh, if you have something to say about me, and it's true, I don't take any issue with it. Okay, if you're saying some stuff about me, and uh, it's tough to hear. It's a little bit harsh. People say, oh, man, Rita came for him. Ooh, I can't believe she said that publicly. If it's true, I probably don't have an issue with it, which is why I'm really struggling. Help me out here, because there, there are a lot of issues here with this uh, Nathaniel Hackett sound that we just heard on Brother From Another. First of all, where are my manners? Welcome to Brother From Another. All of you, thank you. To, wh- whether you're listening on Sirius XM channel 85, watching on Peacock TV, watching on YouTube. However you consume this content, we are happy that you are consuming this content. Thank you. Welcome your family to us. Now, uh, you just heard that Nathaniel Hackensound talking about Sean Payton. 
And what I can I just say, number one, journalistically, if you're a journalist, you got to pick. You can't have both. You got to pick. Where do you stand? You must declare on this day, on this day, as Nelson Mandela said and Malcolm X, in this, on this day, in this moment, in this year, you must declare. Do you stand with truth and a journalist who is able to kind of get truth, draw truth out of a subject? Or are you on the code side? You don't say that. Oh, I can't believe Sean Payton would say that. Because as a journalist, I'm going to tell you what, I'm on the truth side. I'm not on the, you can't say that. If I'm on the, Rita, if I'm on the, you can't say that tri- side, why in the hell am I in this business? Why do I do interviews? I want people to say stuff. Even if it's stuff okay. I don't agree with, I want them to say stuff that they feel because I'm I'm on a search, I'm on a quest for truth and authenticity, not for nice little feelings, nice for not not for carefully packaged, carefully managed statements. What do you say? So I, I don't think this is about journalism per se more than it is about what the brotherhood of what the NFL is supposed to be. And I'm sorry, you're gonna not like me on this. But I think both things can be true. I think that Sean Payton is allowed to say whatever it is that he wants. And I also think that Sean Payton saying it publicly is out of line. Now, see, this is where I stand with and why I stand with that also too, Holly, because Sean Payton then came out and said, I probably should have not said that publicly. So he already felt some type of way after saying it publicly. Yes, we all know Nathaniel Hackett was a a mess in Denver. We all saw it. I truly believe that Nathaniel Hackett was hired in Denver because Denver was trying to make it play for Aaron Rodgers. I stand by that. I believe that it didn't happen. So then they had Russell Wilson. It worked, did not work at all. And then he's let go. Absolutely should have been let go. He was terrible. He didn't even have the locker room. But what Sean Payton did, while we don't have a problem with the truth, everybody saw it. We we all saw it. That's something that I think that you can have a conversation about organizationally with the guys that were there with Nathaniel Hackett. When you went to the media and said it and then tried to recant, oh, well, maybe I shouldn't have said that out loud. That's not uh-huh. a good look. And see, here's the thing for me, though, Holly. The apology should be loud as loud as the disrespect. Because he said, Nathaniel Hackett said, he had not reached out to him to apologize. Well, if you feel like that you were wrong and you publicly said, yeah, maybe I shouldn't have said that out loud, why you couldn't call that man and say, hey, man, I was out of line. I'm sorry. I mean, I feel the way that I feel, but I, I should have not did that publicly. That's why I'm a little yeah, looking okay, a little okay. sideways at Sean Payton right now. Okay, okay, you say it's not about journalism at its core. It's not at its core. It's about two football coaches. But right. journalistically, we, we got the story because of journalism, because Jared right, Hell got the story. So it is about journalism in the sense of what do we want? Like, if you're somebody who is seeking information from people, you get interviews because you want them to say something. I, let, let me just say, here, he here it is. I'll throw it out there. I don't want there to be any mystery. I want to be fully transparent. When you come on brother from another, I want you to say something. If we have somebody come on 
and they say something controversial, great. Now, I'm not trying yeah. to trap them. I'm not trying to bait anybody. That's not what I do. But if they wanted to go there, I'm not going to shame. On, on one hand, I just feel like, Rita, I, can't, I don't think you can wear both hats. On one hand, no, you wear I- the hat of, I want you to get something. I want you to say something. And then tomorrow. So I get somebody to say something today on Wednesday. And then on Thursday, I'm coming out. I'm hot taking the hell out of this thing. Oh, how dare they? There's not the way to do this. There's a way to handle this. No, I don't know that there's a way to handle this. You know why? I'm not a coach. I don't want to be a coach. Right. So, okay, you guys talk about your code and all that stuff. That's not really what I'm thinking about. And, and, and by the way, can I say, Rita? Sean Payton didn't recant. Read it. Read his, read his apology again. Read his apology. What he said was... He didn't was, apologize. He didn't apologize. Oh, he didn't apologize he because he told the truth. He's simply saying I shouldn't have probably said that out loud. But to go back to your right. point, if, if that's the case, then I'm absolutely good for the truth because, number one, I want people to read my stuff or, or follow my stuff. So I'm going to tell you what was said because he said it. He said it to everybody. And number two, don't we love some drama? I mean, look, well, let's not act like we don't love drama, okay? In any yeah. sport, we love a, just a little bit of drama. And now, you might not love it if it's your team, but if you're on the outside looking in, you're definitely getting your popcorn ready. We definitely yeah. care about when people say things that they probably shouldn't have said, but guess what? It fuels the fire to the point where Aaron Rodgers even stepped in and said, don't talk about my coach. Keep my coach name out your mouth. Well, Aaron oh, Rodgers, yeah. what exactly are you going to do? The same thing Sean Payton is going to do, which is nothing. Okay, you out here defending a dude who was absolutely terrible in Denver. And he owned up to it in the press conference. He said he wasn't good. He admitted that he wasn't good. So Aaron Rodgers, I understand that's your boy. We know you ride for him, but you ain't going to do nothing. Make it back in that huddle and and worry about learning the new plays that you got going on in New York, sir. You know, it's funny, Rita. I, I, I love that. That's a part. I'm glad you brought that up. Because that's a part of this story that I've enjoyed. First of all, I didn't know that Robert Sala, Robert Sala had a, hey, if they ain't hating, you ain't popping. Like, oh, wait a minute. I didn't know you had that in your tool bag. Oh, you got that (laughs) in your bag? Oh, you okay. You talking trash like that? Okay. Didn't know that. Thank you. That's entertaining. And then Aaron Rodgers with, with, with the classic. I don't know the first person to say it. The first person to say it should probably get a medal, should probably get a statue. Whoever said it, do we? Can we find this out? Does Wikipedia know this? Does Google know <laughs> the first person to say, "Keep my name out your mouth"? The first person to say that. Who said that first? I want to give that person credit. So Aaron Rodgers, another in a long line to say, "Keep that name out your mouth." Defending a coach, that's good. This is all good. The New York Jets are starting to master the, you know, us versus them. We are, we're good. We're on top. We got something going on. Therefore, we're going to get a lot of criticism. All that said, I think everything, every single thing Sean Payton said, I'm not, I haven't always been the biggest Sean Payton fan. I think everything he said about the Jets, everything he said about the Broncos last year, Everything you said about Nathaniel Hackett is true. Now, is it the yeah. worst? Is it the worst coaching job in NFL history? No, that's that's tough to argue. I mean, we've had 
Hugh Jackson out there. We've had Cam Cameron. I mean, we've had some pretty bad seasons. Uh, you know, Rod Marinelli uh, with the Lions didn't win a yep. game. I mean, like yep. we had some bad seasons, but uh, it was it was pretty bad. I mean, you you got Russell Wilson. You had a pretty good defense. People thought, okay, bring it. You got a good defense. Bring in a decent quarterback. More than decent quarterback. You should probably make the playoffs. They won four games. Worse than that. He had no time management awareness whatsoever. He struggled to get plays in. It was just a mess. And 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 Peyton is right. Nobody. I, there are there are Hollywood directors who don't have film crews as big as Russell Wilson's film crews when he's just doing a workout. Like Russell Wilson, go let you know. If you don't know he's working out, <laughs> shame on you. He's got like dramatic scenes. He's got like like the old school where they had like intermission. They shut down intermission for like 20 minutes and then say on the screen intermission like he's got these very episodic dramas. So everything Sean Payton said about Russell Wilson and the Broncos is 100% true. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com/activecash. 100% true. Um, and Nathaniel Hackett forgot that Aaron Rodgers wasn't the quarterback. It was Russell Wilson. And as good as Russell Wilson is, he's a specific type of player. Um, do I think that Russell Wilson is generational in the sense of Aaron Rodgers? No, but I think that Russell Wilson is a very good quarterback. That being said, the problem that I had with Nathaniel Hackett is he was trying to basically push a, a round peg into a square. You're trying to make Russell Wilson be something that he's not. You're trying to implement a system that doesn't any that does nothing for his strengths. You don't play to his strengths, and then you struggle. And then this is and now your defense, who is very good, I believe they were top five because they ended the season with either seven or nine games with one score, which is ridiculous. And they were losing the vast majority of those games. So when you don't utilize Russell Wilson for what he does best and try to make him be something he's not, of course the offense is not going to be good. Then you add the fact that their offensive line was bad. It was just all bad. The one thing that is great about this, though, Holly, that does make this fun 
is that the Broncos and the Jets play week five. So everybody's going to be paying attention to this game because number one, obviously the Jets are better. Number two, I think that we would like to believe that the Broncos will be better because they have Sean Payton on their side now, who's a great offensive coach. And so this feels like this is going to be set up to be some great Great game. I don't know if it's a primetime game, but I, I hope that they change it if it's not. Because I feel like the whole the entire country is going to be paying attention after Sean Payton put that man out on blast like that. <laughs> it, it's 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 like it's it's junior prime time. It's 425. So we got a late okay. game. 425 East Coast. Jets Broncos. I'm gonna tell you right now, I got the Broncos in that one. I got the Broncos because I, I guess my biases are coming out. I think the Jets season is going to be disappointing. I, I, I got them at eight and nine. Maybe really? nine and eight. Oh, yeah, this whole, all this Jets Super Bowl and player. Well, who said that? Ooh, I, I, what's that? Oh, who, oh, said, who that? said that? Look, look at the odds. Look at Vegas. Hey, Dick, are you got a Rita? I don't know if your gambling has your gambling game fallen off a little bit. I'm always up on what the gamblers are talking about. Hey, okay, so I, I, I need to go I, look at that because I, I didn't know. Come on, I didn't, I, look, did Patrick Mahomes retire and I didn't know about it? I mean, tell me. Well, no, uh, not 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 Super Bowl favorites. No, no, Vegas. I'm not gonna say that. Vegas is not saying okay. that that the Jets are Super Bowl favorites, but I think they're fourth in the AFC after the big three. I think this is the big three. It's the you know you got the Chiefs, you got the Bengals, and you got the Bills. Then the Jets. Stop, please, please. What? Give me the Broncos big in that game. Yeah. Give me, give me Nathaniel Hackett struggling as an OC in that game. And then here's a, another. Like, well, struggle. We got Aaron Rodgers. Come on, man. Hey. You Aaron, this, and Nathaniel Hackett hey. to Aaron Rodgers is basically like what Tom Moore was to Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning did all the work. Okay. See now like, you. We see, all now, know okay, that. Now? Now you're doing a Sean Payton. See, now you disrespected him. Uh, poor Nathaniel Hackett. He can't get any love. Can't get any love. I'm anywhere. just making the and point. Look, Nathaniel Hackett ain't what? got nothing to do with what Aaron Rodgers got going on, but I agree with <laughs> oh, you. I think that the Broncos might do some business. And it's in Denver. I've been there before. You can barely breathe out there. They got that advantage going for them. I got the Broncos big in that game as well. Broncos big. Jim Trotter coming up. I wonder what Trotter. Trotter probably disagrees with everything I just said. He probably does. But he'll make it make sense. Like, Trotter makes all these things make sense. I disagree with myself after I listen to Trotter. (laughs) Coming up next. (laughs) All right, look at this headline. This is a great headline. For year 17, I mean, it's crazy. Tomlin has been coaching the Steelers. For 17 years, I remember when he started, he was the young guy. He's still a young guy, uh, relatively. I think he started when he was 34 years old. But Jim Trotter sitting down with Mike Tomlin and and writing that story. Uh, Check it out in the Athletic Hall of Fame writer, Jim Trotter, joins us. And Jim, uh, yeah, I love saying that, Hall of Famer. Um, So when you you, uh, spend time with Mike Tomlin, what is it? I, I don't want I don't want you to give away your whole article because I want people to read it. But if you had to say this is what makes Mike Tomlin tick, number one, if you got the top five, what's number one in your top five reasons that he's still ticking after 17 years of the same job? Uh, well, 
I'll use his answer. He said um, he loves what he does. And he said he's a puzzler. He says he does Sudoku and crosswords and all of that stuff. And he loves the challenge and the complexity of putting together a football team, a roster, and sending it out on the field and having success in that way. So there's that element of it where he loves the, the, the challenge of the complexities. And the other thing is, as he says, he's still chasing Super Bowls. And he said, the interesting thing he said, Michael, is that it's not for him. He said he has experienced it. It's not mystical to him. He knows what it means and how life-changing it can be. He said it's more about for all those people who are with him now who have not experienced it. And that drives him every day. You know, the thing about this whole story, I went out there not knowing what I was going to get from Mike, because you know Mike as well as anyone, too. When he wants to talk, when he wants to open up, he can. But he rarely does it, especially the start of training camp. He's so focused on, on where my feet are, you know. And when we sat down, the previous day, he had said to the to um, the media, they had asked him about his contract. He has two years left, and they were asking if an extension was on the line. And Mike said the great thing is he's at a point in his life and career where those things are not issues to him. And typically, that just goes in one ear and out the other. But if you know Mike, you know that that wasn't said lightly. And so when we sat down, the first thing I asked him was, you said this yesterday. Where does that come from and what does it mean? And when he went to answer, that's when I knew he was opening the door. This was going to be one of those occasions where he was willing to talk about things other than just football. And so it was kind of revealing and it was cool just to sit there with him and hear his thoughts on where he is in his life, in his profession, and, and where he wants to take it. Yeah, and it feels like Tomlin, you know, we talk about how he's never had a losing season, which to me, that's just a great feat in the National Football League. Not only that, but the, the division that he's in as well, now with Cincinnati being good and, and Baltimore. But uh, ultimately, like you mentioned, you know, he wants to do this for the other guys because you figure their last Super Bowl was, if I'm not mistaken, 2010. We're, they're 13 years removed from that, so they probably don't have a lot of guys, if any, that have had that experience. And so to have a person like Tomlin say, I've done that. I, I'm good with what I, you know, my experience, but I want these young kids and these other coaches to have that experience because it's something that, you know, we should all strive for and do tells to me a lot about him, not only as a coach, but as a person, because that's very selfless to say something like yeah. that. He could retire in the sunset today, and yet he decides that he wants to continue doing this for the guys that he coaches. Yeah, and, and again, he loves what he does. Quick point on what you said about him never having had a losing season, 16 consecutive years without a losing season to start his career, something that's never been done in the National Football League before. And when you talk to Mike or you talk to his players, if I think we're allowed to use profanity on here. As Cam Hayward said to me, he said, it doesn't mean shit to him. And it doesn't. And I, I said that to Mike, and Mike said it means nothing. And, and this is one of the few guys who I believe when he says that, it doesn't. His standard, as he says, when he came into the league, he was coaching John Lynch and Rondé Barber. And he said, so when you talk about two gold jacket guys who set the standard and teach you what excellence is, that's what you strive for every year. And so when I talk to owner Art Rooney and others and Kevin Colbert, they will tell you that Mike resets the standard of what he's chasing. And he's not concerned what anyone else is thinking or what they feel the standard should be. He has this one standard that he wants, and that's what he pursues. And so 
The other thing in this story that I wanted to get into is that we always talk about Mike as a great communicator and deservedly so. You know, he commands the room with his passion, his presence, his voice, his descriptive phrases. But to be a good communicator, what people fail to realize a lot of times is that you have to be a good listener as well. And it was funny, everyone that I was talking to for this story, without even realizing it, all talked about what a great listener he is. And so I asked Tomlin, I said, where does that come from? Is it intentional? And he said, absolutely. He said in the 90s, he used to walk around with a Franklin planner and he would jot down sayings that people, impressive people, leaders that, that he respected, he would write down things that they said. And he said, one of the things that stuck with him and resonated was, with him was when someone said, listening is a skill. And so to him that said, you can always improve on it. You can, be, you can be good or you can be bad, but you can always improve on it. And so he is very intentional when he talks to his players and to others to be present in the moment and to listen. And so what that does, according to a guy like Cam Hayward, is it means that he can relate to each player individually and he can give them what they need, not necessarily what they want, to bring out the best in, in, in that player. And so, again, these are these are just facets of Mike Tomlin that I think sometimes go overlooked or underappreciated, but they speak to why he's so successful. And we'll know we'll know Trotter that you've been listening to Tomlin. If you start reciting some poetry or you start working on those flowery phrases that that Tomlin has. I love listening to I mean, there are times I, I would just do. listen to a Mike Tomlin press conference. I just like the way the brother talks. But you know, there, there's a Western Pennsylvania guy who Tomlin knows, and he talked about uh, this player when it, when everybody was paying attention to the Buffalo Bills. Demar Hamlin, remember that game against yeah. Cincinnati, the game that was not played. Demar Hamlin is back, and I was uh, curious. I saw Rita's feed where she said Hamlin's back. Uh, she's a little bit nervous about it. I think uh, Rita, you speak for a lot of people, Jim. How, how do you take it when you think about DeMar Hamlin resuming his NFL career after what we all saw that Monday night in Cincinnati? How do you feel about this? Yeah, I think Rita nailed it. I'm the same way. Uh, it, it's such an inspirational story, and you want the best for him. And you saw yesterday he had the interception and whatnot, and, and he's someone, you, a story you celebrate and you cheer. But at the same time, particularly as you get older and when you're a parent, you know, um, you get nervous, you know, because you saw what he went through and you just don't know. And so from that standpoint, yeah, I'm like Rita. I'm nervous. I'm a little scared. I'm, I'm praying for him that everything stays, you know, that, that he is fine and he stays fine and there are no complications from what he went through. But there's no way you could have watched what went down and not have some sort of feelings about it now. Um, and, and that's where I fall in this. You know, I think we can all agree it was it was a, a freakish uh, accident and injury, but it doesn't change that we all saw it, that we all witnessed it, and how we felt in that moment. And so, you know, this is great for him to be able to move forward. You know, it doesn't appear that he has any underlying injuries, um, but ultimately, you know, the first time he steps on that field um, in a real mm. regular season game, you know, I, I feel like it's. I'm sure it's going to be nervous for him, but for us watching who all saw that, it just feels like it's going to be nerve wracking. It is definitely for me to see him going out there practicing again. And I'm extremely happy for him, but 
ultimately, you know, I, I'm concerned about his health because relatively you're speaking, you know, that was extremely scary. I, we have never seen anything like that before. And so um, I'm just praying that, you know, he has, he has a great season and that he's okay. But I know we're all thinking it when he steps on that field come week one. Look, I'll tell you this, Rita, to, to speak to your point, there are players who were on that field who thought he was not going to make it, right? So so those feelings are real. And, and all credit to the Bills' medical staff. Again, um, they've been celebrated, and they should be celebrated. So for some of those guys who are on that field, that was, that was trauma-inducing um, to witness that and to think that he was that close potentially to not making it. So... We have every right to be nervous, and, and and that nervousness comes from love, you know, for this young man. So I'm never going to apologize for that or caring about his well-being or the well-being of these other players. And, again, particularly as a parent, um, you know, DeMar's his age. He's young enough to be my son. So I have kids who are older than he is. And so I I, I want the best for him, um, and, and I'm praying for him. But, yeah, there, there's an element of, of – nervousness and, and, and anxiousness as I watch him on the field. Yeah, I still think about, you know, DeMar Hamlin Day, that, that first game, when he's in the press box, uh, they're playing the Patriots. First play of the game, kickoff return for a touchdown. I mean, it was just so much emotion, and you can see him there celebrate. I'm telling you, um, it He's got fans. He's got fans from coast to coast. You think about the fans that he had before that moment, the fans that he has now. And I can understand the nervousness, but I can also understand from his perspective, this is an opportunity for him. He's like, I was, I was spared. I was, uh, I, I'm here for, if you're a person of faith, you say, I'm here for a reason. I'm here yeah. for a reason. And, and it's he said bigger. That. Yeah, it's much bigger than me. It's, it's now I have this platform and, uh, I'm going to go out there and perform and I'll inspire football fans and fans who, who never really paid attention to football before. Now we have paid attention to football for a long time, the three of us and uh, Jim, uh, I'm old enough to remember a hall of fame running back who played in the city that you live in Ladanian Tomlinson, one of the best running backs in NFL history. I grew up where you're going to be going soon. I grew up, uh, in the shadow of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Jim Brown with the Cleveland Browns. I lived in Chicago, Walter Payton. I lived in Pittsburgh, Franco Harris. Running backs, great running backs throughout the history of the league. And now they're just being tossed aside. They're being dismissed. How do you feel about this, this running back regression? That's, it's a regression at the, pay, at, at the negotiating table is there any way to reverse what's happening now to running backs? I don't like to see it. No, they got thrown under the bus in the 2011 labor negotiation. And it is what it is at this point. Um, excuse me. You know, back in 2011, the owners wanted a rookie wage scale. And Gene Upshaw, the previous executive director, had refused to give it to them. Because what he always said is a rookie is a rookie for only one year, and then he is a team captain and a team leader. And so he refused to ever budge on that. Well, DeMora Smith came in in his first negotiation, and he gave that up. And the thing that was so bad about it is that 
and I remember having this conversation with the Morris, and I said, if you're going to give something up on the front end, meaning these guaranteed salaries, you got to get something on the back end, which means these players have to get to free agency quicker to be able to, to make up that money that they're losing on the front end. And so he's like, what do you mean by that? I said, to me, all of them should be free agents after three years, unrestricted, no franchise tags at that point, any of that, so that they can go out and make their money after giving it up on the front end. Well, that didn't happen. And so now what we have is a situation where running backs can be tied up for up to eight years if you are a first round pick before you could ever hit the open market. And if your average career span, as the NFLPA says, is under four years, it means that many of these running backs, particularly if they are talented, drafted in the first round, are never going to see the open market as a free agent and definitely not in their prime. And it's to the point now, Michael, where I've had agents tell me that they don't recruit running backs if they are going to be drafted outside of the top 10 or within that realm of 11 to 32 in the first round because they don't want a player who's going to be tied up like that at a position that the NFL is now saying it devalues. So I feel for these running backs and short of the league creating some sort of um, incentive pool for them to be paid in that way. I don't know that there's much else you can do. And the thing that really sort of irks me is that this is the only sport, major professional sports, where your salary is tied to the position that you play. Every other sport, if you are the impact guy, if you are the dominant player, you get paid in that way. Well, not in football. So Josh Jacobs can account for what, 40% or so of the, of the Raiders offense last year. He was the identity of that offense. And then you turn around and say to him, yeah, you were, you know, and whatnot, but we don't have to pay you like that. So we're not going to. I mean, they didn't I, even I, do that. They didn't even they do did that, nothing. Jim. They didn't even, they didn't even exercise their fifth year option for him, let alone, you know, try to sign him what they did after this past season, but they could have had an extra year with him. And then they declined that part, which says a lot about how they felt about Josh Jacobs, but I'm curious to know your thoughts, Jim, because as we know, there was a Zoom call allegedly that was going on with the running backs, and then Saquon turns around and signs this deal, which in my opinion, is worse than just signing the franchise tag. There was no leverage in the situation. It basically was the tag plus some bells and whistles, but the team is able to, if I'm not mistaken, they're able to tag him still for two more years. Oh, yeah. No, what Saquon did is the only thing really he could do in terms of getting a little extra money. They were not going to, he could not renegotiate his deal at that point. The deadline had had passed, so he was going to have to play on the franchise tender. So he went out and he got a little extra money and incentives. So I'm not necessarily going to fault him on that because really there's nothing else that he could have done. Here's what, let me flip this in a way. Um, This is what I don't understand. So every team in the NFL had an opportunity to offer Saquon or Josh Jacobs a contract, right? As they're out there on the open market, even though they're franchised, they're on the open market. No one did, right? Because supposedly no one wanted to pay them that kind of money. Now we hear, at least NFL Network reports, that there are GMs out there who are willing to trade for Jonathan Taylor, knowing that he wants a contract. So you're willing to give up draft capital and a contract to go get Jonathan Taylor 
But you have an opportunity to get Saquon or Josh Jacobs without giving up draft capital. It is only going to cost you the contract, but none of you will do that. I'm trying to make sense of this in my head, and I can't, because you're either telling me that Jonathan Taylor is so far superior to Josh Jacobs and Saquon Barkley that you're willing to do this, and, and this is no disrespect to Jonathan Taylor, who is a tremendous back, but he is not levels above those two. So somebody help me understand this whole thing. You're telling me it's a devalued market for running backs, and yet GMs are putting out there that they're willing to trade? For Jonathan Taylor, who's coming off injury, and give him the contract and give up draft capital? That doesn't sound like a depressed market for running backs to me. Yeah, and also, and, and Jonathan Taylor, well, you're talking about uh, an injury. He had an injury, and then the, the team said it has another non-football injury, and he disputes that. So not right. only are you trading for a guy who's going to want a new contract, you mean you're trading for a guy who was injured last year and still may be injured right now, as opposed to Barkley, who had a great season running the ball and catching it, and, and Josh Jacobs, who was your NFL rushing leader. So you're, you're right, Jim. It doesn't make a lot of sense. And here's the other thing that annoys me, and, that, and a lot of coaches have phrasing similar to this. Like Bill Belichick talks every year about the importance of protecting the football because he has this great <laughs> phrase like running backs – carry the fate of the franchise <laughs> in their arms and all of us all of us are dependent okay if you're all if, if, if this if this man carries the fate of the franchise in his arms I think he needs to be paid pretty well if you're going to ask the guy to run inside run between the tackles and then when he runs and when running backs run out of out of bounds and avoid hits oh oh he didn't want to take the hit he's turning it down uh, guys who well, can't you do it, uh, he, you do it then. He right, exactly. <laughs> or if if a guy can, if he's a three-down player, you like that. When it was time to negotiate, well, you played a lot of snaps and you're taking a lot yeah. of punishment. It's a lot of hypocrisy going on. I, I just don't like that aspect of it, and I, I wish there was something that could be done. I, I keep waiting, Jim, for this running back revolution uh, to happen. Michael Smith said, "Keep waiting." Uh, the revolution will not be televised. I said the revolution will be televised. You're going to see it. We'll no, see the it. revolution is not coming. It is not coming. Not coming. And that's and, and to right. me, that's part of the problem of doing these 10-year deals on these labor agreements. You, you got no way to get out of this, right? No. There, there literally is no way to get out of it. Yeah, All right, I, let me I, ask you this. I'm going to switch. Oh, go ahead, go ahead, Rita. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, real, no, real quick, I, I agree with you. I think that that was a horrible idea. And anything that the running backs try to do, whether they try to dis disengage themselves from the union and, and create their own, is a domino they effect can. of all bad things that comes after that. So, Yeah, they can't do that. Well, I'll bring it full circle uh, because I know you're going to the Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame game uh, between the Jets and Browns uh, taking place tomorrow. But I want to ask you as a Hall of Fame voter, I know we've had this discussion before when Don Coriel got in last year. I thought that was a little questionable. I, you know, I, I, I'm still not sure how Don Coriel is in and you got no Mike you Shanahan. Over. You got no Mike Shanahan. I'm going to win you over. You've got, you've got no Mike Holmgren. You've got no Robert Kraft. Tell me when you're looking at that contributor category because you got coaches, you got GMs, uh, you've got you got you know you've got special contributors there. What are you looking for? 
What what says Hall of Fame to you? Because you can have there are shifting standards. I'm sure it's not just one boilerplate thing. What are you looking for when you're looking at for a Hall of Fame contributor? Well, first of all, I think it's wrong to have contributor and coach in the same category because they're two different things. Um, as a contributor, what I'm looking for is impact on the game, right? As a coach, obviously, people take into account wins and losses, Super Bowls, coaching trees, all those sorts of things. So there, to me, those are sort of two separate things. And you have to ask yourself, which was more impactful, more impressive? You know, all those things I just talked about as a coach or the impact that someone had on the game. With a guy like Coriel, the way I would try and win you over on this, Michael, is the impact he had on the game, many of his f- fingerprints um, were seen more than three decades ago in the NFL. So when you are so far ahead of your time in terms of what you were doing schematically and in terms of, of your system, that it is still being used more than three decades later, it's been adopted by much of the league, that says something about impact. The other thing I say now when we talk about coaches, one of the ways I measure coaches as well, besides wins and losses or championships, is what was that franchise like before that coach got there? And what was that franchise like after it left? When you look at someone like Don Coriel, and I'm doing this off the top of my head, so my numbers may be wrong here, but I believe in, 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 in if you talk about pre-Coriel, post-Coriel, for instance, with the Cardinals, they had only one playoff appearance in a non-strike uh, year in the 42 years combined pre and post Coriel. That speaks wow. to impact. That speaks to coaching um, ability and whatnot. Same thing you and I have talked about, Marty Schottenheimer. You can look at what franchises were before he got there, and then you can look at what they were after he left. And the numbers will speak for themselves. And so... The reason I get a little miffed about this whole discussion with coaches and people talk about Super Bowls is I'm saying if that's the criteria that should override everything, I'm good with that. Then let's go down that road. But we have guys who have won multiple Super Bowls who haven't even been a finalist for the Hall of Fame. Mm. If you talk about Shanahan, if you talk about George Seifert, if you talk about Tom Coughlin. So from that standpoint, what is it, what is, what is it then? that we are basing it on because you can't say it's about Super Bowls. If we have these coaches who not only aren't in the hall of fame, but haven't even been finalists. And then we have coaches who went 0-4 in the Super Bowl, Bud Grant, um, uh, Marv Levy. And yet we have Dan Reeves. Yeah, Yeah. they're in. And and you have Dan Reeves who's 0-4 and he's never been a finalist. So that's why other than this year, I'm saying prior to this year. So from my standpoint, those are the kind of questions and, and debates that we should be having. Like, really, what are the criteria that are most important when we're talking about these things? Because otherwise, we're all over the map. And that's why fans are saying, you guys don't know what the hell you're doing in that room. You're just a bunch of idiots and whatnot. And, you know, it, it's hard to argue with them because sometimes I don't know what what the criteria are. It's so personal for each individual voter. Well, you, Jim Trotter, are certainly not an idiot, my friend. Always great right. talking football. Yeah, not you, football not you, Jim. Otherwise. Not you. Not you. Right. Tell me the other dudes. <laughs> tell me the other ones. No. They're not I talking about I think I'm you. in that class at times, too. Now, hey, that. listen, we're only, in that, only at home. Only at home. We're only at home? <laughs> I feel you. All right, Rita. Uh, I saw this story, and it really got my attention 
you probably feel the same way. You know, <clears throat> there's a lawsuit. There's a lawsuit. Lizzo's uh, former dancers, uh, they alleged they were weight shamed. Uh, they were pressured at a strip club. There's harassment. They said it was a, a hostile work environment, sexually charged work environment, and that they were surprised that Lizzo, who really has has been, I'd say, number one. If you want to talk about a, 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 a superstar who has really brought the issue of body positivity and, and really expanding the view of how we look at how we look at our superstars, how we look at our dancers, how we even perceive beauty uh, in a mainstream sense. She has been number one. She has been uh, an advocate. She's known as that. So for this lawsuit to come out and these dancers who said they were shamed about how much weight they gained, what their size was, some said it led to some issues for them, um, some eating disorders based on the pressure they felt from the boss. It's a little surprising. So the number one thing is, look, I want to talk about it. But the number one thing, my number one question is, I wonder what Lizzo will say. What will Lizzo say? I, I'm not talking about Melissa Jefferson. That's her That's her government name. That's the government <laughs> name, uh, okay, on the lawsuit. And so there's a, there, there's a lawsuit part of this thing. But I wonder what Lizzo, if she will address this at all, because... Other than this, I'm, I'm trying to think of it, Rita. Maybe you can correct me here. I can't really think of any controversies that have come close to bringing her down. One point, she had a uh, she had a line in her and a song, and then somebody said, "Hey, that's insensitive." She changed it. She changed the lyric. As soon yeah. as she heard the pushback, she changed the lyric. She has yep. she has one album of the year. She has a clothing line. She has been on Saturday Night Live. She's got an incredible voice. She's a great entertainer. Things have been rosy for her in the in the public sphere. This is the first time I can think of something being a little uncomfortable. What do you think? Yeah, not that I can recall that it's anything that's happened um, major like this. This is a lot. I mean, where do we start? Because... You are a person that I am sure has struggled with people and how they viewed you and the, and your size. So to turn around and do the same thing for people, and I don't care if it's someone is too skinny and you're shaming them for being too small or someone is too big and you're shaming them for too big, being too big. Body shaming on any side is a terrible look. And for, it, coming from someone who you know has struggled with that, and she's talked about her insecurities, she's talked about you know her body image and why that's important to her, is a horrible look. Add the fact that you had a, a coach, another one of her coaches was trying to push Christianity on people only to be contradicting yeah. and then having little conversations about sexual things, although she was shaming people for having sex. Oh, and then you decide that you want to hang out with your co-workers where this is where she went wrong, Holly, big time. I mean, all of this is wrong. Let me be clear. But where she really, really crossed the line is thinking that the people she worked with 
other people she's cool with outside of work. What I learned a long time ago is just because Uh-oh. me and you at the nine to five together don't mean we at the happy hour together. So she went on okay. to the show and, and then after the show, she wants to go in there in Amsterdam and she wants to go hang out in the sex clubs at the red light district. And everybody is not cool with that. And so now you're putting people in uncomfortable positions. You think that you're having a good time and I'm sure that you are, but everybody doesn't have a good time the same way that you do. But that's because you think that these people are your friends. No, these people are people you work with. And so now you're getting hit with a lawsuit because they feel like you're putting them in uncomfortable positions because you just want to have a good time. I love the wisdom of that distinction. People you work with, people you're cool with at work, and people you're cool with in your real life. It's a difference. And this is all, look, it's alleged. It's alleged, allegedly this, allegedly that. We want to right. keep saying that. Allegations. Uh, it is a lawsuit. So we, we don't know what's going to happen. But I, I do know this, that this topic, when I saw it, uh, obviously it's Lizzo, uh, and I'm a fan of her music. So uh, that got my attention. But also, I, I think it's important for us uh, in, in our roles, uh, Rita, as journalists, it's important for us to show the full picture of any time harassment, sexual harassment comes up. Now, most of the time, yes, we are talking about men behaving badly, rightfully so we're talking about it because there are more cases of men in power doing this than women in power doing this. That's factual. But the, the full picture is that this is a pervasive issue in the workplace, it's a workplace issue. And so yep. we all do ourselves a disservice if we just look at one half of it or a third of it and we ignore the other two thirds that are, that are going on out there. This is something that we got to talk about. And also this will bring out people like this is a uh, former director who worked with Lizzo and according to her, yep. uh, she, she wanted to step away because she felt like it was just, uh, she had a feeling just wasn't the right wasn't the right fit for her and she didn't like the way Lizzo according to her she didn't like the way Lizzo spoke with people yeah so she, she said she wasn't she, she said she like was nasty she had to leave uh, two her, weeks. yeah her allegations was she was not good you know it was not comfortable to work with her that she wasn't the nicest person you know and that she you know said mean things and one of the allegations in the lawsuit too is that when someone had mentioned that they were uncomfortable with something that they were doing uh lizzo allegedly balled her fist up like fighting ball their fist up and then alleges that they that she used a slur against this person who i believe is from a latin origin as well as putting up her middle fingers so you know we but we've looked at and perceived lizzo to be this upbeat you know person that seems to be very kind she comes off as being very relatable on tv and now we're hearing that maybe she's not that relatable at all allegedly and that you know she has some issues that people are dealing with when they're working with her and she's making it hard to work in the workplace whether it's being harassed just harassed you know verbally um or uh, emotionally or harassed sexually yeah, we will uh, we will keep up with this story. Uh, we'll keep you updated. We'll keep commenting. Uh, even if even if Lizzo comes out with something and says this is all false, uh, we we'll talk about that oh, too. No. All right, Rita, I'm, I got to give you your uh, give you the stage. 
because the Baltimore Orioles, the first place Baltimore Orioles, are making moves. So go ahead, give your boys some props. What's up with the Orioles? I mean, I'm going to give them some props because they are playing exceptional baseball right now. Um, I, I like the Jack Flaherty trade. I felt like that they could have done more, but I also don't know what other teams were asking for in terms of their farm prospects and what they were willing to give up. So, you know, I, I, listen, they have done a phenomenal job with the farm system and bringing those guys up. Uh, they got some pitching issues and they tried to address it uh, yesterday before the deadline, but ultimately there's some work that still needs to be done. Hopefully they can find some consistent pitching, but I'm, I'm not going to complain too much, Charlie. I, I'm, I'm enjoying the ride right now. You're lucky I don't have my Hawaiian shirt on today to commemorate like my Baltimore Orioles. <laughs> Hawaiian shirt with that with the Orioles logo. Great shirt. Yep. I am going to complain, though. I'm going to complain a little bit. Uh, NBA Finals, I've gotten used to the crew. Mike Breen, Jeff Van Gundy, Mark Jackson. The crew is out, except for Mike Breen. Mike Breen's still there. Jeff Van Gundy, we knew was out. Mark Jackson, Jackson went on Instagram, said he was shocked and dismayed. Uh, that ESPN says, hand down, man down. That's his, oh mama, there goes that man. All his little pet phrases. I enjoy Mark Jackson. I'm still him. disappointed. I'm, I'm disappointed that uh, ESPN, uh, ABC is moving on from their crew. Is it, that's, that's a crew, in my opinion, that didn't need a lot of tweaking. What say you? I agree. I agree with that. And, and look, shout out to Mark Jackson. He had a very classy statement that he put out and, and saying, you know, good luck to the new crew. He's a much better man than me because I ain't wishing nobody luck um, who takes my place. I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm not going to do it. But, um, you know, it is sad to see that they broke up the crew. I thought that they were a very yeah. good crew um, to have. And it's just unfortunate. It's just I not going to be the same. That's how I see that. Well, I'll tell you a better crew, the Wu-Tang crew. Oh, yes, Method sir. Man. Check out Method Man at Jets camp. Where's Method Man? Right here. Oh, come on, man. Come break it down, dog. All right, I want to um, do a quote from Bill Parcells. Is that all right with y'all? All right. You can form a whole world down the highway of years and take pats on the back as you pass. But your final reward will be heartache and tears if you cheat the man in the glass. Jets or three? One, two, three. Yes! You Method Man. You you think new Method Man? How many of them do you think like really new Method Man? Okay. Method Man, you don't quote Bill Parcells. You quote yourself. Bill Parcells should be quoting you. What? Thanks, Protect Rita. your neck. That's what he should have said. Protect that, that's what your he should have said. Exactly. <laughs> the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters. Both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.